Well, good morning again, church. Welcome here. Uh, today we are continuing through our series, uh, through the book of Acts, that we've titled, This is the Way. We've called it that because the early church was called the way. And so we're looking at, well, what makes the early church, what made them, and what built them up, and what spread the gospel so fast and so far. Today, we are in Jerusalem. We're going through the series by location at a time, instead of chapter or verse by verse. So today we find ourselves in Jerusalem for chap uh, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 35. And so we're looking at today, um, there's a conflict here that we're looking at with the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church. And so if you remember from a few weeks ago, we learned that the church in Antioch, that those uh, people gathered there were the first ones to be called Christians. So today we're looking at this conflict and how they resolved it and what's kind of happening and what's going on. But before we get there, I have a story. A few weeks ago, my wife and I and our three little kids, here comes one stumbling slowly up to the front. Good morning, Mac. Is there something you want to say? Okay, we're just going to keep going. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I and our three lovely kids, uh, we drove down to BC for Thanksgiving to see the rest of my family. Uh, my siblings and parents, it was my nephew's birthday, it was my parents' 40th anniversary as well, and uh, my brother and sister and I, we were kind of wrapping our heads. We're like, what are we going to get mom and dad for their anniversary? You know, sometimes we've gotten them like a gift basket with some cheeses or whatever, and I'm like, I don't know, like, is there something else that we can do? And then I had the thought, I'm like, could we recreate a family photo? And we're texting each other, and my brother immediately replied, and he said, I'm not getting naked in a bathtub for this. <laughs> I said, okay, that's fair. So I'm like, hey, what, what kind of photo? I'm like, I'm not there. Like, can somebody go to, our, to my parents' house, and can somebody look through the album? So my sister gets there, and, you know, is flipping through, and she didn't really like any of the photos that we had. And so then the thought dawned on us, well, maybe we should just make a photo, you know, dress in some 90s attire. We put on black turtlenecks and gold chains and very straight faces, and we took this lovely photo that I'm going to share with you for some reason. <laughs> and that, yeah, that was kind of my parents' reaction. We showed up for dinner, and I had this gift wrapped. We put it in a nice frame, nice big uh, 10 by 17 or whatever it was, and, and my you know, we hand it to my parents, and my mom's like, oh, like, you didn't have to get us anything. You shouldn't have. I'm like, just wait. <laughs> so we, we printed off. That was our favorite. We took a few other ones that you'll probably see floating around. We can get rid of it now. We don't need to keep looking at that. <laughs> well, we took that photo, and we had a blast with it, and my parents were just like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You might be wondering, why am I sharing this with you this morning? Well, my siblings and I haven't always gotten along. There has been conflict once in a while. Here's the transition, right? There has been conflict. There, we haven't always gotten along. My brother and I, when we were young, like, we're always fighting. We're always at each other's throats. And my sister and I, I mean, we, we were civil. That's probably the best way to describe it at the time when we were kids and maybe sometimes even now. <laughs> but we haven't always gotten along. There has been conflict, and we have, you know, worked through it from time to time, and even now, as we're adults, things come up, and we're like, well, you know, we just have to work it out, work through it, because we're a family, and that's what unites us. We still love each other, even if on days we don't always like each other. We kind of have to love them, right? 
Because they're our family. That's what unites us, is that family. And so that's a little bit of what we're seeing here in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15. And so I just want to read the first few verses, verses 1 to 11. It says, Some people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and they need to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that they, nor we, nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. There's a whole lot going on there. And there's more verses that we're going to go through in a little bit. But here we have this council that has to be formed. Council, of course, was, had to come together to debate and to squash uh, this, this controversy or this you know, confusion, specifically about following Moses' customs, the laws of the Old Testament. And of course, the one that gets brought up is, this, is circumcision. Were, this was becoming an issue, and rightly so. These Gentiles didn't want to go through that. And they didn't see a need for it. And, you know, Paul and Barnabas and other apostles didn't see the need for that either. Including Peter, who with James and Paul and Barnabas, they had all seen that the Holy Spirit was, had been poured out onto the non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, when they accepted Jesus into their hearts. Just as they received it at Pentecost. And so trouble arose because they're arguing back and forth. And, and these people from Jerusalem came up and they said, no, this has to happen. And and they're like, okay, well, it doesn't because clearly that's not what God is after here. You know, the Holy Spirit was poured out on these people. But these Jewish people, they thought what they were doing was right. They thought that this was how things had always been. Because in the Old Testament, you look when sometimes there's a few occasions when Gentiles join the Israelites and they have to go through that and they have to follow all the laws. There's times when even the Israelites themselves had walked away from God and then when they came back, they had to go through that whole process again. And they had to follow all the laws and customs. And so they thought, okay, here we have Gentiles believing in Jesus and they have the Spirit. they got to go through this. this is, they got to follow all the laws and all the customs. Because they saw that the rite of circumcision was mar marked Israel's position. And this is true. that It marked Israel's position as God's covenant people. When God made the original covenant with Abraham and then again with Moses, he required that every male had to go through that. Every male had to be circumcised as a sign um, 
of living for God. Other cultures used it as a sign of like entering into adulthood, but the Israelites were the only ones that used it as a sign of following God. But that all changed when Jesus came into the world. And that's exactly what the council's response is. It's exactly what they're saying here. So they sent back to Antioch. They sent Paul and Barnabas, and they sent Silas, who we hear about later in some of the letters. And they also sent a man named Judas, or Barsabbas. And so we pick up the story in verse 23, because they send a letter with these four men back to these churches, these Gentile churches. So in verse 23, we read, it says, With these men, they sent the following letter. From the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. This is such, such a short letter. I love it. Let me continue. Verse 30. So the men went off, went to Antioch, and they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. I feel like that's a lot of work for such a short little letter, eh? And, I mean, it's one sentence of things that they need to not do, which doesn't sound like they were doing these things, but the council just made it abundantly clear. They affirmed that these non-Jewish people had received the Holy Spirit, and they affirmed that, and they said, you know, we're not even going to bother you with writing about, you know, this dispute on following the laws or not. Well, we just want to encourage you, and we want to make sure that you guys aren't drinking blood or, you know, eating the meat from sacrifice to idols or strangled animals. And, of course, make sure you're not falling into sexual immorality. It's just a really short and easy letter almost to read. The Jewish Christians that were in Antioch, there were some there, and, there was, and the ones that came from Jerusalem to first you know, argue their point that you know, we have to follow Moses' laws. They, they thought that they had to do that to be eligible for salvation. The Gentile Christians were saying, no, our faith in Christ the Savior is the only requirement. And the council affirmed that, what the Gentiles were saying, specifically uh, Peter and James, when they, ma they made a final statement that faith in Jesus is the only requirement, but there must be evidence of the changed heart. The Jewish Christians, they insisted, they thought they were so right. They insisted that to receive salvation, a person must believe in Jesus, but also follow those laws. Because that's what they understood. That was their culture. That if anybody came into, uh, into Judaism, into belief in God, that they had to follow those laws. 
But even years earlier, before this happened, when Jesus was still walking on the earth, he already went against that thought. He told them in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus says, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. It seems kind of harsh. But he accused them of substituting that relationship with God for their own human traditions. I feel like sometimes we do that same thing. That we substitute our connection with God, our relationship with him, for the things of this world. I think we do that when we become complacent with sin in our lives. When we see the little things and we see them all as all insignificant or that it's just a little white lie or it's just a little sin. We were talking about it at youth this week, about different levels of sin, how we see sin in different levels. You know, oh, I might lie, maybe cheating's a little bit worse, definitely murder is up here, that's a really bad one. But when God looks at us, he just sees sin, sin as sin. He doesn't see one over the other, because at the end of the day, the consequence for sin is separation from God. That's the consequence, is separation from God. He doesn't see one worse than the other. This isn't Dante's Inferno, where there's different levels of hell. What he sees is sin as sin. That's it. And Jesus says, you know, you are so focused on those traditions, so focused on those religious aspects of keeping them to the T, that you've forgotten what it was about, and you've forgotten about having a relationship with me. Consequence for sin is separation from God. Paul writes later on in Colossians chapter 2, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He has forgiven all our sins, and he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And I don't know if you noticed there in verse 8 again, that word human tradition. See too that no one takes you captive through hollow, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the spiritual forces of this world. Jesus says the same thing. We've been more focused on our tradition than on our relationship with God. And traditions usually start for good reason. There are usually good reasoning behind, you know, celebrating year after year something that God did. 
something that God had done for you. I mean, even if you think of, you know, Passover, that was a a great tradition because when they were in Egypt and the ten plagues came, the last plague was was the killing of all firstborns in Egypt. And God said, if sacrifice the lamb and put its blood over your door, and the spirit will pass over you and go to the next house, and you will be spared. And so they celebrated that every year. That amazing thing that God did. Even though a few days after that, they started complaining and grumbling against Moses, saying that they brought him to the wilderness to die. How easily sometimes we forget what God does and how he moves. But that was a, that was a good thing to remember. And they became so focused on it. And you see that over and over again in the Bible. These traditions, these celebrations, which probably had good intention, but over the years became so focused on keeping every little detail the same. Have to do it the same way we celebrated last year. We celebrated the first time ever. And those human traditions, those things that they continued to celebrate, that we continue to celebrate sometimes, got in the way of the relationship with Jesus. Jesus isn't focused on us keeping tradition. He's not focused on us keeping customs or every single commandment down to a T. What he desperately wants from us is our hearts. He doesn't want our hearts focused on anything else other than him. And that's a pretty difficult thing to do. But Paul writes about this transformation of our hearts. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. God and Jesus, they're not focused. He's not focused on how closely we follow every single commandment. There are 615 commandments in the Old Testament. And Jesus says himself, he's... Oh, we're going to get there in a second, aren't we? I'm jumping ahead of myself. We'll go, we'll go there. He says in Matthew 5, he says, don't you... Th- Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This whole problem arose because people who represented the church in Jerusalem took it upon themselves to go and say what they thought needed to be said. It doesn't say that the church sent them. In fact, it says that they weren't authorized. It says that they took it upon themselves to go to this new group of Christians and to tell them how they needed to live. The problem was, clearly they didn't do that properly. They didn't go to these elders of the church first. They might have had good intentions. What they thought was right, but Jesus changed it all. We don't have to follow a a list of rules and regulations. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Verse 18, for truly I tell you, Jesus says, till heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Maybe you've been stuck there before or figured that what I'm doing or what I'm working on, this might be a distraction. This might not be, you know, worthy of my time and energy. Maybe you had good intentions. Maybe you thought, oh, well, you know, God's allowing this or I thought God brought me here. But now it's become a distraction. I think we do that a lot around the holiday season sometimes as we're getting into things. You know, we focus so much on keeping those traditions. I'm sure, you know, we're talking about family traditions or talking about these things. Maybe that's where your mind went already. Oh, every year we get together and we do this thing. But is that distracting you or is that distracting your heart? It's not our flesh on the outside that needs to change. It's the flesh nature on the inside that needs to change. It's our hearts that need change. And it doesn't change easily. But it does change when we love God, when we live for him each and every day, when we live like Jesus. Again, that's not instant and that's not easy. I can stand up here and tell you that in my own personal life, a changed heart takes a lot of time. There are still times when I get angry. There are still times when I have, you know, hard conversations with others or with myself. Why did I just say that? What is going on here? Why, do, why is it sometimes that I just want to yell or be angry? What is causing that? Why is it that sometimes I still don't get along with my siblings? <laughs> Even though we take silly photos together. But it doesn't happen instantly. And sometimes we have that expectation that, oh, I no, receive Jesus in my heart. I was baptized. Why hasn't anything changed? And it might be because we are still focused on ourselves rather than on him. But our hearts will change. Because his love for each and every one of us is greater than we can even fathom. And that's really what this series is about as we go through this book of Acts. It's about the love of Jesus that is beyond anything that we can comprehend or anything that we've experienced. His love and salvation is not limited to certain people following certain specific rules. It is unlimited. It is unconditional and it's there for us each and every day. It's available to everyone not to just one group. It's available to those of us who fall daily into sin, to those of us who can't control our tongue sometimes, to those of us who, no matter how hard we might try, we still find ourselves weary and bogged down at the end of the day because we're trying to do it on our own. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for that rest this, this morning. God, for those of us that are burdened, that feel the weight of this world on our shoulders, Lord Jesus, would you give them rest? Would you give them rest in you? God, I know how easy it is to take things upon ourselves, to just try and get it done because maybe you know how to get it done, to just take on the world's problems. But God, that's not what you ask of us. What you ask of us is an open heart, is a relationship with you. Lord Jesus, would you forgive us for when our traditions get in the way, for when the things of this world get in our way of you. God, I pray that we do not become complacent with the sin in our lives, that we see it for what it is and that separation from you. Lord Jesus, some of us have a heavy heart today. Some of us have had a hard week today. We come here, we sing these songs, and we read from your scripture and hear from your word, God. And I pray this morning that we find rest in you. Lord, Lord, for those of us that are sick or that are broken, God, who need healing of all kinds, I pray for that this morning as we sung already. I pray for the healing of this church, of this community. God, I pray that your word will go forth like the brightest light we have ever seen. Lord Jesus, we know that you will use us to do that. So God, we pray that as we go this week, as we think about what it means to be the church, Lord God, would you just speak through us this week? Put us in those situations when we have coworkers that ask us questions about our faith, when we see someone on the street that needs prayer. God, I pray that we will be bold in that. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who are weary, heavy laden, Pray that we find the rest in you that we so desperately search and long for. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you no matter what. We pray these things in your great and holy name. Amen and amen.